Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Whenever you have a mandate on your life, you just can't run from it. Aren't we weird how we try to do that? (laughs) Everything in you is designed with a purpose in mind. And, you know, no matter what age that you come into the revelation of that, that's when the anointing of God begins to flow in you and and it will transcend your natural mind. Right? I... Before I get to the scripture, I, I am trying to change your mind today. Another thing Bill said, I think I've got it on number three, is the unrenewed mind is at war against God. So I, my job as an equipper, because see, I'm, there are works for you to do. You know, the thing about being a quipper is I do the works too. And I equip. What makes you an equipper is that you learn to do the works. It's a, it's a progression. So if you, part of what I feel like is on his heart is that he so longs for us to know that he has a prescribed pattern of operation on the earth and everything that follows his pattern lines up. I, I actually looked up. Um, let me see if I can find it. I looked up in, um, hang on, in Matthew 11, it's where Jesus talks about a yoke. And I don't know if you know this, but that word yoke actually means a draught animal, D-A-U-G-H-T, D-R-A-U-G-H-T. I didn't even know. I've never even heard that term before. Has anybody heard that term before? It means, listen to what it means, a strong working animal used to draw a load as opposed to being mounted. And so think about it. When Jesus spoke this scripture in Matthew 11, can I read it to you? It says, Father, I thank you for your Lord and the supreme ruler over heaven and earth, and you have hidden the great revelation of your authority. So that's a key that everything about God is revealing to you your authority. If if we would just buy into that one first pattern, okay? Y'all agree, right? You have hidden it, though, from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. That's logical thinking. We We have a whole generation agreed that when they're not fathered, they go out and they seek wisdom. Because we are in need of wisdom. We seek out what he actually planned. What, what, there's a need within us. And he, we seek out. Christy wrote this word in December. I'm not going to read it today because literally I think I have seven words from all of y'all and dreams and all kinds of stuff. So I'm like, I'm not listening to any of that. So that just proves what God's doing today. But I have to focus because I can't have all that in my head. But she was talking about the system in which she was lay, uh, was raised in. And so she wasn't raised in church. She was just raised in the world. She was raised by an atheist fa- father and a religious mother. And so that conflict 
in her environment made her seek safety in logic. Because why? She needed a foundation. We all did. And so when God comes in and he begins to speak and he says, well, I have this whole supernatural thing for you to do, then it messes up that old system. You know, I was, let me finish reading this. It says, instead, you've shared it with those who will humble themselves. Another place of pattern to find your destiny. It always flows in the low place. And so he says that, Father, your plan delights your heart. Whose plan? Weird. God's plan delights his own heart. And he calls you his beloved. He calls you his delight. You're part of the delightful plan that he delights in. So nobody can miss it. That's your greatest. Let's keep going. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me. He's just really strong in the room. So I'm trying to stay focused. Your plan delights your heart as you've chosen this way to extend your kingdom. By giving it to those who become like trusting children. The expanse of the kingdom comes through a childlike heart. That's your need. You're in great need. I know you abandoned it because you weren't safe, but you're in great need of becoming childlike before his throne. You're, you're in so much need of him as a father. You're in so much need to be fathered. You're in so much need that he wants to do what he put you here to do. He wants to father you. And you are in such need of it. And you have searched and you have tried so many ways to figure out a way to be fathered. But he says, I'm it. I can satisfy that need. I'm so good at it. And you can trust me and you can go with me and you can be fathered by me and I will expand my kingdom through your ability to understand this truth. So that tells us something, doesn't it? Why hasn't his kingdom expanded? Because people have tried to do it out of a different need and need to be significant. And today, I've come to change your mind about significance. And then he goes on to say, are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? It's heavy to try to find your own fathering. You're weary. You don't know it, but this is why you're weary. Because, see, he was describing to them, and he goes on to say, simply, I love Jesus, simply join your life. Now, you'll have to get rid of all that other crap. (laughs) And he says, yoke up. Become a draught animal. Because you're not alone. The weight of it is carried by Jesus. And I love this. He said, and then you'll learn my ways. 
Why? Because you can't get out of a yoke. You didn't know it, but when you said, I surrender all, you yoked up with a yoke. You've been trying to get out of it sometimes, but he's like, no, we're yoked. You can't get out. And that's how you learn his ways, because you watch what he's doing. Now, we still try to think we can. Have you, have you ever seen a draught animal, a big old oxen? Have you ever seen that? They're just trudging along. Right? He says, learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle. I'm humble and I'm so easy to please. And then you'll find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. So I want to start today with that, that everything that God made is easy. Changing my mind about the old system is what's hard. But you know what? He's so good. He loves to keep proving it. Over and over and over. So he told this story in front of a bunch of people that were religious. Because he wanted to demonstrate what he was really bringing. Remember, in think about the law. You know, y'all know me around here. And my favorite story is, you know, the story of them coming out of Egypt. And God said, you know, I've preached on it a lot. But think about it. That in the law, he had to make the law because he couldn't do what? Because they rejected letting him write on their hearts. Now, I can do a bunch of scriptures for you today, but most of y'all that have come here will know these, all these scriptures by heart. But that's what he wanted. That's all he wanted as a God. He's like, I'm going to save you from slavery. And I'm even going to let you let all those slave owners give you all kinds of presents. But when you come out, I want you to wash yourself and I want you to know, this is just a symbol of Jesus, if you can see it. And I want you to know, I want you to worship me in spirit and truth. And what did they say? They said, I'm afraid. So they said, Moses, tell us what he said. And then we'll judge whether we'll do it or not. That's, that's where we live today. Right? If anybody ever even comes to church, they're sitting there going, well, I don't know if I believe that. I mean, think about, let's just use tithing because everybody loves for me to talk about their money. In the Old Testament, it was a percentage. In the New Testament, Acts 4, there wasn't any needs among them. There wasn't any check with percentages. There was only a leading. See, they got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And in Acts 4, there was no needs among them. What happened to them? They just got filled with the Spirit and the Spirit of God told them what to do. They looked across at the family of God and they said, and like Jesus, these are my mothers and fathers. We struggle so much with what we give up. When we actually gave up Egypt, we're still doing what they did in the, in the wilderness. We're still saying, well, I don't know if I believe all that. I mean, think about sickness. 
Under the law, you had to sit outside the camp. Girls, PMS days, you're outside the camp. Girls, get out there. Right? The leper outside the camp. Let's just use that one. What did Jesus do? You couldn't touch the leper under the law, under Jesus. The touch healed. Do you see that Jesus' way of riding on our hearts is a better way? Agreed? And so, my I believe this is true for today, that Papa is looking for an earthly dwelling. That's what he's looking for. And in order, I think I made a slide, said, well, for this, let me think, so I can... I did. It's number... 19. It's contingent, though, upon following a prescribed pattern. The next slide, everyone possesses an earthly body. Do you have an earthly body? We can all agree on that. But does everyone's earthly body possess him? See, because that's the number one goal. And let's let's read about it, shall we? I can tell you all don't quite believe me. Let's turn to Hebrews 5. This is the scripture that he told me on Wednesday. Hebrews 8. Did I say 8 or 5? I meant 8. You knew I meant 8. 8, 5. There was a 5 in there. This was it. The priests on the earth serve in a temple that is but a copy modeled after the heavenly sanctuary, a shadow of the reality. For when Moses began to construct the tabernacle, tabernacle god warned him and said you must precisely follow the pattern i revealed to you on mount sinai now this is the story i'm telling you about they came out of egypt y'all know it and they got scared because god showed up in his godness god's not human he showed up with thunder and lightning and scary stuff Have you ever wondered when you live in fear, you dream about tornadoes? That's just a side note. Thank you very much, Teresa. Because, see, fear can't coexist. So this is, a there's a pattern of everything in the kingdom. That's why it's called a kingdom. We don't know it well. And when we hear it, we try to decide if we agree. You know, one of the greatest gifts you could give yourself is to actually read the Bible and read it for instructions, not on con- not for condemnation. And because in it, I love the word. I love the word. I love that it comes alive. When I read the word, it comes alive. Let me read it to you and see if it does. You ready? For here is the covenant I will one day established with my people, I will embed my laws within their hearts and thoughts and fasten them. I will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts. Why does he say thoughts? I said it earlier, right? I think I have another little fun slide on it that are a yielded, number four, a yielded imagination becomes... A sanctified imagination. What are we talking about this year? We're talking about creativity, and we're talking about using this gift of an imagi- of your imagination to what? To create. Yeah. But how many know our imaginations run amok? Yeah. 
Did you? Did anyone in here imagine anything bad this week one time? So that tells me what? My imagination has the ability to conjure up. Right? Now see, the question is, how long do I behold the bad thing? How many, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many thought, a bad thought came to your head and then you actually put an action towards it? So see right there, that imagination took hold. See, it's a creator. You know, just saying, the Rams did win the Super Bowl. And I'm not, I'm just saying, I said it. But some of y'all hated on that. But I just know how God does stuff. You know, and there's a kid on there that um, his name is Coop, and he told this story. He said, in 2019, we lost the Super Bowl, and I had a vision from God. He said this on a, in a press release, like, on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube. <laughs> He's a YouTuber <laughs> and an NFL football player. And he said, in a vision... God told me that we would win the Super Bowl and I would be the MVP. And I told my wife, but I didn't tell anybody else because I knew they wouldn't understand it. Wow. And so he said, I envisioned it and it meant, and I played from victory. Yeah. That's old news around here. We've been seeing, we sang about that three years ago, probably the same year he had the vision because that was the year God was. See, when God said in 2019, play from victory, he doesn't need to repeat it in 2022. If you're not doing it in 2022, he's moved on from that bus. He was wanting you to enjoy the spoils of playing from victory. And so my, he yielded to the vision. That was his first step. And what did he do? He told, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. He pondered and he shared it in a safe environment. What we all do, we go share our stuff with no safe people. And then they hate on it and they curse it and they tell us we don't have enough money. Of course we don't have enough money. <laughs> We're not doing it yet. <laughs> you know? I mean... Just let me segue. In March, you know, we're starting where Breezy is teaching. Breezy and and Tessa are doing something in the art world at Studio 36. And so every single Saturday is going to be filled with people taking lessons and having healing in an art environment. Do you know how long? I mean, before y'all, they were even born. God spoke to me about that. You know, I don't know if you know this, but when Donald Trump was president, his vice president's wife did healing art. Did you know that? It's been going on, right? So we're stepping into something new. And so when we step into something new, it's like we've got to play from victory. We've got to play. It doesn't matter who shows up first. The year he told him he was going to win the Super Bowl, they just lost it. The other thing that I think it says, the sanctified imagination becomes postured to see and hear from God. Is that good? Yeah. Remember, remember um, this year we talked about this. Once matter knows it's observed, it responds. Yeah. It responds differently depending on who observes it. Yeah. 
I propose it depends on what kind of faith you have. When I observe Tessa and Breezy, now they didn't come here to One Life and say, hey, I think that we want to train others in art. That's our goal. They didn't say that. They were saying other stuff. Right? But see, I know if I reproduce me, Right? right? Follow me as I follow Christ. Why did Paul say that? I've got something to show you. Right? right. right? What I have to show you probably isn't what you brought. <laughs> so, see, that this is my goal is to do everything under the leading of the Holy Spirit. My goal is to teach everyone it's not in giving of your time or money. It's not about some percentage. Think if we did that. Think if we were like, okay, well, I thank God. I'll give you 10% today of my day, just in time. And I'll decide when that is. That's why he always talks about first fruits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, my position. In, oh, let's just go there, okay? Yeah. My position in life of trust depends on what comes out of me first. So if you get a paycheck and you pay the government first and you tithe on your net, you didn't give him first fruits. In fact, you gave him something after it was all left over and whatever you had left. See, he everything in the kingdom is about being led by the Spirit. And so I don't measure what I need by my own head. I produce, he gives me, oh, let's, let, let, let me talk, let me say it another way. I have a cool way, okay? So, I am yesterday looking up this pattern word, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, this is cool because God has a pattern. And so when I look up that word, there, there's other there's other times in the Bible that the word pattern is mentioned, and where it's mentioned the most is in uh, a, a time is Isaiah 44. So I'm going to read you a little bit about Isaiah 44. Now, I love Isaiah is my favorite prophet, right? Yeah. And some of y'all act just like Isaiah. Some of you prophetic people in here, and that's okay because we're human beings. So think about it like this: God decided when you were going to come to the planet. And he decided to tell you information that no one else heard that actually will confront a wrong. That's the way you should think of your prophetic gift. So no one else heard it. Okay, are you with me? Are you good? It's happy being, this is a happy prophet class, okay? Nobody knows it yet. Nobody knows them. So you might paint a picture of somebody that nobody around here has seen. Right? Remember when Bailey was doing that? Painting pictures that nobody had seen. And what would happen? They would walk in the door. There's a couple of girls up there. And, you know, one of them she found on Instagram. And she don't want that picture of her. But it was her. Yeah. That's a prophet's job. 
A prophet's job is he tells them first of where he's about to move and what he's about to change. And believe me, it looks nothing like what he says. So Isaiah 44 is a great example of that. I love this chapter. This is how he starts out. He says, now listen, because, you know, a prophet has to listen, right? Right. Come on, all you prophetic people. He he tells him who he is. I'm Yahweh, just in case you were forgetting, because, you know, he was forgetting because the prophecy he just gave him was about King Cyrus. It was 150 years before King Cyrus came to the planet. What is the era we're in right now? We're in the King Cyrus era, just in case that went over your head. That's where we're at. So what does he speak to a prophetic person in this generation? This is what he spoke to them. So he gives him some anchors as a prophet. He says, I'm Yahweh, so you're not. Right? Right. That's why you you have to stand beside your gift and not act like it's your be it not act like it's you not act like this is a gift and God is just looking for a mouthpiece on the earth and if I haven't yielded and yoked and sanctified and done all the steps, then what comes out of my mouth will be filtered with my own need. 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 It will be filtered with my own need to be what? Significant. When we pray for people, I want to pray for somebody and they get healed so I can tell everybody I prayed for somebody and they got healed. That is working from you personally needing significance. And every gift in the kingdom doesn't work that way. You have to know who you are first and know that nothing that you produce means who you are. It's not by power. It's not by might. By whose spirit? Not yours, his. You're just a temple. You're to be filled with his presence, but what comes out of your mouth has to have gone through a refining process. That's why he loves refining. You don't pick how he refines. Some of y'all are being refined currently in the room. Because why? He has to make it a pure product, or when it comes out, he can't anoint it, and then we say we speak for him, and it changes no one. When God speaks, he's trying to change something. He's trying to make something wrong, right. He's trying to make something unjust, just. He's trying to make something unwhole, whole. That's the whole goal. He's already God. He doesn't need to show off with that. He needs to set some things right. And that's what prophets do. Okay, I know. Just don't volunteer to be a prophet anymore is what I say. I'm Yahweh. I'm your creator. I shaped you in my womb. A little different than Psalms 139. That that was the David version. The Isaiah version is Yahweh shaped you in his womb. That's where you were first. That's a privilege to even know that. And then he said, hear what I have to say. This is Yahweh, the creator. Don't fear. If you're going to be a prophet, if you're going to use your gift for God, you have, you have to do something with fear. 
He didn't give you a 12-step program. Here's his answer. I'll help you. That's what he said. Don't fear. I'll help you. There is no reason. When you get to the place where you know that you know in your heart, you don't have to fear because he's going to help you. That's when you step into your true anointing. He says it again. Don't fear my pleasing one. My upright one. Now see, that's why in the New Testament, the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. That's why the apostles, they went first. Now in your generation, the apostles have been restored last. They were first in Jesus's day. In your day, they've just in the last 40 years, they've been restored. The knowledge, it's not like they, it didn't exist. Because that's the foundation of everything prophetic. Is the apostolic in the, in the prophets, right? I know you don't know, but it's true. And this is what he says. He says what he's going to do. I'm going to pour refreshing water on the thirsty and streams on dry ground. So that's, he's telling you his motive to call you his prophet, his pattern, my agenda, God's agenda. See, you don't know where someone's dry. You don't know where someone's thirsty. You're just deciding whether you're going to make yourself an offering. See, what messes up prophetic people mainly is they want assurance before it's spoken. But it's the speaking of it that creates it. That's why if I don't know him, I better not be saying just anything because I have the ability to create. That's why when I'm connected to the negative and I'm speaking out of that, I'm actually prophesying everything I'm getting and you will run into it later. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When you say bad things just to get your own need met, you're prophesying an intersection with that need later. Yeah. I'm just trying to help you. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm Yahweh. I'm creator. I'm going to pour out refreshing water. I'm going to give that just because people are thirsty. I'll pour out my spirit on children, all children. I'll bless all your descendants. They'll spring up like grass. That was a big deal back then. You know, there's a whole agenda to keep the population down, right? Did anybody know that? You, you do know that's the enemy, right? <laughs> Sorry. That's another story, isn't it? And then he said, you'll say, I belong to Yahweh. How does he get to say that? Because he's telling things only Yahweh knows. And he only tells them that are listening. Right? It's not about producing something out of your own need. It's about actually being connected to the need of his heart. If I don't know his word, I don't know what's on his heart. And then I will produce something just to feel good in myself. So he goes on, he says all these really cool things. He says that I will 
right on you that you're the property of Yahweh. Like a tattoo. Oh, let me show you my tattoo. He'll write on you property of Yahweh. All the tattoo lovers are going to run out and get that on them. He says all these other cool things about himself. Why is he identifying himself? Because when you go out and speak words about something that doesn't exist, you better know who you're representing. He said, I'm the kinsman redeemer. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the only God. There's no one like me. And then he makes this on down in verse 9, like 10, 11. He begins to describe how there's these people in the earth that act like he doesn't exist. And he's giving this revelation to Isaiah. He's saying, there's these dudes that they, they're a blacksmith and they act like their ability to even have a fire comes from something they made. And so he began to show this contrast between how we understand he made everything, all my abilities. He was saying, well, they use the wood to cook their meat and then they use the wood to make an idol. And so he's show what is he doing? He's showing Isaiah, this is what you're speaking to. They've lost their way. They have lost their ever-loving minds. They have no idea that they are actually producing idol worship with the creation of their hands out of stuff I gave them. Listen to me, prophetic people. God is trying to get you to speak for him. And so he has to show you the contrast so you know who you're speaking to. It has, when he comes to tell you that, don't get under condemnation. That is a futile exercise. He can't trust this then. If he comes and says, Man, there are people doing idol worship, or what would he say today? Well, there's people with stinky attitudes. There's people with all this fear, and we're like, yeah, that's me. No, actually, I was just trying to tell you so you could tell somebody. And see, he's trying to say, this is the way of the prophet. The Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. That he wants to tell us things about the people he gave us authority to change their situation. So you walk into somebody, I mean, just like think about Shooty the other day. She met this lady and her finger got chopped off and then she injured her finger. Just a little significant. Well, little did I know, but Breezy had drawn some pictures of some hands, which of course she says she can't draw hands, but it just doesn't make any sense. Right? In the natural. So two years ago, she drew a picture of some hands. That same time, God healed somebody that she prayed for. Go back to the same lady. Do you See, he's a pattern kind of guy. And see, if we don't, if we are not being led by the Holy Spirit, we don't put all those pieces together. And we live kind of like flippantly. 
Like, oh, well, that's cool that God did that. No, I make a big deal about stuff God does. It's a big deal to God that he healed that lady's finger. It's a big deal to God that she has texted us every day and said, I'm still not dizzy. It's a big deal that Tessa had vertigo that morning so she would know. See, what we do is we turn everything. What was it that you told me, Pam, that you knew? I got that limiting belief the other day. What was that? That you knew your stuff. How did you say that? That your little... Yes, Pam, I got a limiting belief in Pam that it was so great. I love to get one because Pam hardly ever has any. So I love to jump in there with all parachutes and say, ha. Huh. So she was telling me the other day, we were talking about healing. We were talking about, I was just telling her this seat and this position that we have to pray from, that we can not pray from a position of being significant. We are only praying from a position that I'm a daughter and he, and he wants to love them like a daughter or son, period. And so she was talking about how she was having these couple pains. And she said, you know, I know that's my personal inventory. I know those are the things on me that hurt. And I said, that's a limiting belief. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's a limiting belief. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Did you get it? Yeah. You know, I asked Tess and Shudy to share today. This is your moment. Um, about a limiting belief that God got for them, uh, for Tessa. And, and see, whenever we are willing to admit, like I don't even know if Pam was really trying to admit that. She just thought it was truth. Yeah. You know, this is my personal inventory. This is where I heard. And I know if this is me, then, then that's probably not for somebody else. I was like, oh, so not true. Yeah. Right? Do you get it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, come on, Tessa, and come and Judy and tell them your oh, yeah. little experience the other day. Golf clap. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Um, well, it's cool how he just triggers things mm -hmm. and it's in there. <laughs> it's in there. And so um, I don't know how much detail to give, but I all think that all of it. Okay. Well, um, I had been kind of operating with this limiting belief forever, but for I was noticing it for like a week and um, some something happened be between me and Tisa that I was that I that made it show its ugly little head. And um, it was that I am insignificant and people think that I can't do anything and I'm inadequate. And so that caused me to want to go into all this proving with my performance. Mm -hmm. And so that caused a lot of weird disconnections um, between me and other people. And it was it sent me into a, a logical limiting viewpoint of a lot mm -hmm. of things <laughs> because it was all about um, how I could prove mm -hmm that I was significant, that I could, was adequate, that I could do something. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way that the Holy Spirit flows. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I was in, um, I was in opposition to what his flow was. Yeah. So right, yeah. it was really cool because, um, Jesus said, that's, a, there's a limiting belief there. And 
at first I couldn't see it and it was hard in that moment to 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 be able to admit that there was something there mm -hmm. so um it was really cool me and Shudi just got in the car and we just started listening she told us to listen to um the encounter room worship set mm -hmm. and it was just like the holy spirit was just opening up all this stuff for me mm -hmm. that even when christy had given her word about needs I just want to encourage you guys, if you don't understand something, it's because he's about to reveal it to you. <laughs> it's If you don't get it, it's because he, he's about to do something where you get it. <laughs> and so she had um, given a word about needs and how it's actually through our needs that he... Um, we're, that we're not supposed to get rid of our needs, that it's mm -hmm. through his, our needs that we can have yes. the abundant life, that we yes. can have connection with him and yeah. full fulfillment. And so he was revealing to me that um, I had a belief that I could only be safe mm -hmm. if I was self-reliant because in my past there was nobody that was safe for me. Mm -hmm. The only way I could be safe mm -hmm. was if I became um if I could do everything myself mm -hmm. and the goal was to never have a need anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so that led me to, um, self-reliance and yeah. performance. And every time that I couldn't do something and I felt like it was a fail, um, I felt in danger. Like yeah. there's so much danger yeah. happening right now yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I'm, I'm scared. Yeah. And so then it, it just triggered this cycle of performing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and so what was really cool was that he just was really opening up my heart yeah. to to that he does want to father me. And so that moment was really powerful because I could let go of the the fear that there wouldn't be no safety and that I couldn't have need because I wouldn't be safe if I had need. And I was able to just exchange that with how much he wants to father me and how much he loves my need and loves to connect through my need yeah. and how there's so much great joy. It's like that I could see that 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 other thing that I was operating in of trying to prove um, that I was adequate yeah. was a completely different identity from the one that he gave me yeah. when I'm under the covering of his fathering. That's right. That's right. And when I'm under the covering of his fathering, I look so joyful and free and I don't have um, that limiting belief that causes me to go against what his spirit is doing in a moment and, and take the reins to prove an agenda. That's right. Yeah. Do you have anything? It's good. It's good. So Shudi was really, really helpful to me and just going there with me and um, just being with me and, and leading me through all that. And so mm -hmm. it was a really, really powerful mm -hmm. exchange to have with him mm -hmm. where I could see that there was going to be an end to that cycle. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so right. I just I just want to release that over you guys. Yeah. Daddy, I just thank you that you gave me that moment where I was able to finally embrace yes. my great need of you. Because yes. in my weakness, you are made strong, that yeah. you are seen as so strong. Yes. And so I just speak over these people today. I speak over your kids today. I just break every cycle yeah. 
right now. I break every cycle of self-sufficiency and where they can't see that they have great need of you and every agenda that goes against their purpose. And I just thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're revealing what it is for each person mm-hmm. that happens on the on the uh, on the frequency that's below what they can normally see. Mm-hmm. That there's things that are happening inside of them mm-hmm. that is the enemy's agenda to undermine their purpose. Yeah. And so I just yeah. break that and I ask Holy Spirit that you'd reveal what those things are that are going on under the surface that are really not even them. That's right. That are really uh, just an alternate reality to the reality that you made them as deeply needy children (laughs) and that you're such a satisfying God that you come in and you fill every need. And so I just released that revelation over them that they are so safe in needing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. right yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I wanted her to set CC up to to read her word today I'm giving you your two minute warning Mendel <laughs> um, you know whenever I um, whenever I was whenever that happened with um, Tessa which it happens between her and I a lot because um, I see what God made her to be and I'm I'm trying to get her to follow me and um you know one of the things just to re- keep in mind that when we haven't been fathered we are afraid to follow yes. because you know even in religion um you know I was taught that you could be uh in heresy, that was our favorite word back then, right? Anybody? Yeah. But see, here's what you have to remember is that that's such a limiting belief. And it will, God will offend us. He'll offend that limiting belief with making us follow somebody that offends us. And, but at the end of the day, you know, he's fathering and he's leading. And, you know, the reason the, what makes me a good leader is that I follow well. Yeah. I am underneath people that I follow and it's a yielding of my heart. It wasn't even my choosing. I didn't even choose. God arrested me and intersected me with someone that produced passion oh, yeah. towards my destiny. I didn't care what their name were. I didn't oh, name was. I didn't care what gender they were. I didn't care what they called themselves. I was arrested by the passion and truth that they gave, and that gave me a covering. Yes. And see, God requires us to live underneath a covering to do our purpose. And so I'm your covering and you didn't pick me and I didn't pick you and our wrestling match ensues when I'm trying to refine you and you're resistant because you don't want to follow and God will have to reveal that. 
He'll have to reveal that. I mean, the way it happens with Tessa and I is so fun to me. I just think it's hilarious because I really, I, we've been working on all of this different, um, paraphernalia, if you will, to, to, for y'all to take out, you know, when you go out and meet people and what we want it to say and what we want it to look like. And we're really both really picky about what it looks like. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be frugal. And so unless somebody just wants to throw me down 10 grand for all the paraphernalia, but anyway, it's another story <laughs> anyway. But so I was sending her and Pam a version of something that I was going to print out, but her response to me showed me that we weren't on the same page. I was wanting her to say, that looks cool, let's have some. And she's saying, when are we doing that? And I'm like, well, we're not even talking about that right now. We're not even talking about when we're doing it. And so, see, but that's a limiting belief. I was like, well, you know, you may want to take some of those tonight, but I didn't, I'm not even talking about that right now. We don't even have it yet. Are you with me? So see, it happens in ways that just seem like they don't matter. And so what God's trying to do right now for us as a tribe, he's trying to reveal that you have this need within you for all of these things to be in alignment with him, the creator, because he has such a powerful assignment for you right now, right now. And every day that you don't yield is a day you miss out on your assignment because you're required to yield to do the assignment. And that's the pattern. And when you embrace the pattern, he'll show you more of his pattern. The reason why I know so much of his pattern is because I do so much of his pattern. I don't want to do Teresa's way. I don't want Teresa's vision. I don't want Teresa's house. I don't want nothing of Teresa. I just want the Holy Spirit. And when you make room for him, he'll show you the way. So come on, Mendel. So good. Such an awesome day. Wow. Well, it's hard to even know where to begin. I got to be honest, but oh, there's so much. The Holy Spirit's saying so much and doing so much. But as you, uh, I think everybody's heard the temple song now, you know, and that, that question, what does it mean to be a temple for the king dropped into my spirit at the very, very beginning of January, and we made it into a song. And it's just been this theme that's been exploding in so many different ways. Um, What does it mean to be a temple for the king? And there's all sorts of avenues that are that are um, opening up that Tisa's finding and I'm finding and then we're both finding and all sorts of different ways where he's sort of, you know, bringing us to different points in scripture, even where they're talking about the temple and, and it clicks that that's relevant to us right now. That's to what we're doing right now. And so this was so powerful um, that there was a pattern, as she said, the, the scriptures that she started off with were so good. I hope you caught it, that there was a prescribed pattern, a very specific pattern for how to build the tabernacle. And now we're the tabernacle, we're the temple, you know, so wouldn't it make sense that there is a pattern, that there's a prescribed way to, um, to, to function in our design as a temple for the king? And so this question, what does it mean to be a temple for the king, is just opening up so much. And I hope it's making you um, look at things differently, too, about your own life. 
Well, I read, a, I think it was just last Sunday, possibly, I can't remember, about how I sh- one of the previous services recently, I talked about how in Luke 2, 22, I read the story about how Jesus was, as a baby was brought to the temple, and it was the first time that the presence of God returned to the temple after like, I don't know, 387 years or something like that. Well, there was a reference in that story um, to Malachi, and so I decided to go and read Malachi where in Malachi 3, it talks about where God is prophesying or through Malachi that there will be a time that his messenger comes to the temple and he will purify and refine. And he will do that first with the priests. OK, he would purify. And we, we've sung about this. If you went back and listened to our worship, it's been paving the way too. I can see all these little connections. But we sang about a pure offering not too long ago. So in Malachi 3, it talks about how he will, like a refiner of silver, he will purify the descendants of Levi. The descendants of Levi were the priests, right? We are all priests now. And so um, he will purify them, and they will then they will draw near to the eternal, presenting offerings with righteous, clean hands. And I'm just saying this really stood out to me, that it said, then the eternal one will unequivocally accept the sweet offering of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the days of old, as in the former years when the covenant was new. That jumped out at me that when the priests were purified and they offered pure offerings, he said, then I will save the whole nation. I will save the whole nation. I will accept the offerings of the whole nation and I will restore you to the original covenant. And so I'm just saying we need to receive that for today, okay? The importance of that. So interestingly, though, you know, and I didn't this I was reading about this on Friday. I didn't know that Tisa was going to be reading in Isaiah 44, but it kind of they really mirror each other because in Malachi, um, the Lord is speaking through Malachi saying, you know, basically what's going on at this point? You're offering um, impure uh, offerings. You know, you're giving me the wounded animals instead of the the perfect animals. This is the Old Testament, you know, so it's all about the those the Old Testament laws and stuff. But he's saying you're bringing me um, impure offerings. Your worship isn't really worship anymore. And there's actually several um, things in there that are um, there. He's saying you've actually robbed God. You know, you're not bringing your tithes like you're supposed to. But some of but the people in the in the at this point in time are like, well, what do you mean? How have we robbed you? You know, like, what do you mean? Like, how does this apply to me? And they keep asking these questions, like, how does this even apply to me? Meaning they'd reached a point in their culture where they didn't, didn't even connect with them. They didn't even realize how far off of the prescribed pattern they'd gotten, which also looks like present day in our world. And some of the things that they said even were, um, they have started in the culture had started saying that it actually didn't pay off to serve God. So that sounds relevant to today. And it actually, they were actually saying things like, well, the, the people who are doing evil, they actually end up doing better. And so, you know, what's the point also sounds like today. Um, and as I mentioned thing, and he, he talks about how, in the refining process, he talks about all these aspects of culture that have gotten so far off and about how they've gotten off with God, okay? 
And so it was interesting as I was reading, I read all of Malachi's uh, four, four chapters, and I started reading this um, commentary on it because I couldn't, con- I wasn't sure why the Holy Spirit was leading me to this. And I saw something interesting. It said that the setting of Malachi, it said that um, Malachi, Haggai, and Zechariah were post-exile prophets to Judah. Haggai and Zechariah rebuked the people for their failure to rebuild the temple, okay? But Malachi confronted them with their neglect of the temple and their false and profane worship. That's present day. Jesus has already come and remade us into the temple. The temple's already been rebuilt in in us, right? He died. He was rose again. When we accepted him, we died. We rose again. The temple's already been rebuilt in us. We're in this season now that Malachi is talking about where we are neglecting the temple. And he basically goes through there and tells all of these different ways that they were off of the prescribed way, off of the pattern. And so he wasn't going to receive their offerings anymore. In fact, he even said, which one of you will be bold enough to actually go ahead and close the doors? Because I don't want any more of this fake worship, this false worship. I don't even want to taste that anymore because it's become so foul. I'd rather you not do it than not do it with a purity. So, of course, we have this incredible father and we have his grace and his mercy that he will never stop the refining process. Um, at this point in the story, of course, Jesus had already come. Jesus has already come and he's in us and he is in the refining process, the purifying process in us now. And so it's a good, good father. It's a compassionate father. It's a merciful Jesus that's refining these things in us now, just like Tessa shared those limiting beliefs. And we may not be the extreme people that we see in some of culture who who are saying extreme things against God, but we are in a we have grown up in this culture. We have been raised up in this culture and we've got mindsets and different things that are operating in us that aren't of him. They aren't in keeping with that pattern. And it's his mercy that he is refining us in those ways. So the idea of neglect, we're neglecting the temple, that did remind me of the word that they've referenced that I shared a couple weeks ago about, he said, to relearn, relearn how to need, right? And he, he talked about the whole thing about how the orphan spirit parented us and tried to get us to think the goal was to get rid of our need so we would never need again. And that was not what he planned. He planned to be the father that met the need, and we had ongoing hunger and knowledge of our need. Excuse me. So I had this encounter with him yesterday that I wanted to share with you that talks about this need. It shares another way that we have kind of missed the pattern and he's wanting to tweak it in us. And it really unveiled several things and it may unveil something different to you even, but I think there's something here for everyone. And so, you know, I like to share my process with you just to be vulnerable so you can relate And so I started writing, well, let me say this, I woke up Saturday morning, I wasn't struggling per se, but I had this, this kind of nervousness, because I didn't know, I couldn't, I felt like I wasn't quite connected to what he wanted to talk about that day. And I wanted to dive in deep, but I didn't know kind of the direction. And so I had this little bit of nervousness. And instead of maybe doing my normal thing, I felt like he was saying, you're identifying a need right now. So let me talk to you about that first. 
So I started by writing to him, and I'm going to share that with you. And so I said, Papa, I need you this morning. Holy Spirit, I need you this morning. Jesus, I need you this morning. I need your anchor. I need that locked-in feeling with you. I get the sense that you've allowed me to feel that locked-in feeling, to experience the power of its hold, so I would know, like really know, my need for it, and that it's the greatest thing I've ever known, the greatest launching point for living in every way. It's the foundation I've always sought after, longed for, and been desperate for. I get the sense you've allowed me to know of this, to taste of it, so that I would know that it is what I've always longed for, so that I would know that I can't live without it. That is where I find myself today, Papa. I am desperate for that locked-in connection with you. I'm desperate for that hold that's unlike any other. I'm desperate for longing for the power of your embrace that holds my face in my attention securely where it belongs. There's nothing like it, and I am so in need of it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just want to interject here that and what I'm talking about there is that as I've, you know, just on my journey with him, and I've learned um, to and practicing my role, I've experienced these moments where we both we all line up and I'm so locked in with what he wants to say with that kind of prophetic message that it feels like nothing else. Because I know that I know that I know that that's him speaking and all my doubts and fears are blurry. They're in the past. You know, they're not relevant anymore in that moment. And so this it's this experience of a feeling feelings. You know, I'm a feeler. So it's really important to me how I feel. So it's an experience of a feeling of being anchored in a way I'd never experienced before. And so I've grown hungry for that anchor. I want that anchor all the time. I want, I have a need for that. So, and it's to the point now that when I wake up and I don't have it, I'm nervous because I'm like, I don't want to be unanchored. I mean that when I'm, when I'm anchored in this way, like I've just tasted it when the anointing's falling, you know, and you're like, man, I can do anything. Nothing can stop me. I will do anything for him. You know, it's just a feeling that's unlike anything else. And so that's what I was saying I was longing for at this point, but I associated it with this very narrow road. Okay. I associated it with, I need to know what your focus is for this weekend, what we're going to talk about on Sunday, what the message is going to be about, what I'm supposed to pray, what scripture am I supposed to read? I need to know in my logical mind what to focus on. And I associated that with this anchor. So at this point I said, yes, Papa, you've called me to look at my needs differently. So I will. I see that this is very much a need in me. It's not just a preference or a personality trait or the easy street for me and my way of thinking. It, it is a need. It's a need to feel that kind of security from you. I have need to feel that stability in my mind, in my emotions. I know you strengthen me in many ways in many seasons are about strengthening, but I believe in this season you are asking me to come to you in a new way with my need. So, Papa, I need your solidarity. Now, when I wrote that word, I was surprised that I wrote it because it was the Holy Spirit. So I had to look it up. And solidarity means unity or agreement of feeling or action. Mutual support within a group. 
And so I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that describes what I'm talking about. That's, that's it. So I said, yes, that actually points to the feeling well. It's the feeling that comes that with knowing I'm locked in with what's on your mind, your heart. I suppose it is unity with you. I've experienced what comes with being unified with you in thought, purpose, heart, and soul. It brings a fortitude to my soul and spirit that takes the fear of flight completely out of the equation. I'm free to fly with you with this kind of fortitude. I don't have to know it all, understand it all. I don't have to know where we're going or what we're even doing. I just know I'm locked in with you, and that's all that matters. Papa, I get the sense that you're wanting to expand this for me, to perhaps move it from the one or two lanes I've found it in and realize that it's an experience I can have with you in other ways too, in multiple ways. And so I just stopped right there and I said, Holy Spirit, lead me. And I heard him say, sit in the need. I think that I said that when I shared that word originally, was sit in the need, because I recognized that I'm uncomfortable sitting in my need because they've been scary. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I'm not going to, the need's not going to be met. So I have scrambled and in my own power done things to satisfy the need because I don't want to sit in the need, get out of it as fast as possible. That's been how I've operated. And so he said, sit in the need. And I needed to develop endurance for being in the need, right? Because again, if it's our, our need is a point of connection with him, why would we want to run away from it so fast? You know, but if I'm scared to sit there for long, then I'm probably not going to connect with him because I'm going to get up and run away. So I needed endurance for being in the need. And it was interesting because at that point he brought this other reminder to me that I actually was more comfortable going to him about other people's needs than my own because it didn't have that scary um, aspect to it. So I was, it was easy for me to do that. So I heard the Holy Spirit then and he said, being more aware of need doesn't necessarily mean to describe all the negatives, negatives of it not being met. Describing all the fears and anxieties and lack and loss is not really what I mean by sitting in the need. It doesn't mean you have to sit in the fear or lack. I'm not asking you to just be okay with or tolerant of the fear. I'm not asking you to become more familiar with it. I'm not asking you to describe all the scary views in greater detail, to face them without moving or some such thing. No, no, there is a much greater meaning to sitting in the need. Now, I'm going to pause right there and, and elaborate on what he was talking about. He was showing me that because I didn't grow up knowing that God would meet all my needs or being in relationship with him, I didn't and I wasn't taught that my needs were valuable. In fact, they were a problem. They cause problems all the time. Shut those things down, you know, get them out of the way. So I never valued my needs. I never acknowledged my needs. I, they were tried to make them not part of the equation as much as possible. And so what that meant is that the only time I became aware of my needs was when the fear or the anxiety or the lack became really extreme. When I reached a breaking point, then I would be like, oh my gosh, I need safety. You know, only after I'd become terrified would I realize that I needed safety. You know, 
And he's saying here, that's not, that shouldn't be that way. As healthy sons and daughters of God, we should be aware of our needs and be, they should be a regular part of our vocabulary with, with him and with other people that we're in relationship with. And we don't, we shouldn't be waiting until we've, things have reached a breaking point before we even talk about our needs. And so I feel like a lot of us are probably that way where we, we are only experienced in identifying our need through what the enemy is doing. And so it's true that my first thought when he said sit in the need, I thought sit and look at all the scary stuff, right? Sit and look at what the enemy's doing. That's what I was thinking that meant. And so this is enlightening already just to say, that's not what I'm talking about. So he says, there's a much greater meaning to sitting in the need. I'm asking you to think on what meets the need while sitting in the need. Sit in the need and imagine who I am to you, what I have that you need. Imagine the fulfillment of the need coming from me. Envision it. Even if you aren't really sure what it looks like or what I have that can meet the need, you can say it's as if, for example, Papa, I need you to come and lift me out of this mucky place I'm stuck in. Lift me out. Picture me lifting you out. That is an example of envisioning my fulfillment of your need. You partner your heart and your mind with the door of truth when you do this. You partner your heart and mind with faith, turning your attention towards me instead of the enemy. This is an important step in switching your process. So again, I think we've done that where we even talk to our mentors or we go to him and we talked about how, what the enemy's doing, what the enemy's making me feel like. And all the while we have an actual valuable God-given need under there that's, you know, that the enemy's just punking on. It's not what, about what the enemy's doing. It's about what is the core need inside of us. He wants us to go find that thing and talk to him about that, even if you can't see it right. So this, occur, this started opening up so many doors to me because, you know, we, we become what we behold, right? We say that a lot, right? Whatever you're looking at, you will become like it. And now we've got the quantum science stuff we talked about at the beginning of this year, how matter actually responds based on someone looking at it and who's looking at it, right? So we want our, we don't want to be focused on what the enemy's doing because we just start transforming. It just makes it grow. It makes the fear grow in us. And so we can, it makes sense when you stop and think about it, that that is partnering with the enemy and actually furthering our fears. Um, if we just look at what that, that side of things. And so he says, start the process by imagining what I could do to meet the need. Okay. So I did this process. I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to, then I'm going to tell you at the end how it totally transformed me at this point in my day. I still didn't feel that different. Okay. I still felt nervous about this, this thing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And so I started trying to say more of what the need was and what, like how it could be met. Okay, but I still, all I knew, I'm just trying to make sure you get it here. This example may be a little different for each person, but in my mind, I just knew I needed to know what to focus on. 
I got comfort and an anchor if I knew what to focus on. So just tell me what to focus on, right? That's all I could say about my need. And so I said, I need for my heart and mind to be fastened on what your heart and mind is on today. I need for every fiber of my being to be attentive to you, to have its gaze on you. I become what I behold. I need to be in a constant state of transformation where every atom of my being is turning and shifting into its most statistically probable state when you look at it. Matter responds according to who is looking at it. So I want all of me to be in the line of your sight. I have need for being in unity with you. I need to know that we are together in all that goes on in the day. I need to feel the power of your focus. There is a power that flows when you are focused on something. The fire in your eyes burns with intensity towards its focus. I need to feel that fiery power. Do you see I'm still trying to address the thing that all I can see so far? I need to be about my father's business. My passion, my breath is for this one thing, to be about my father's business. I need for it to flow with purpose. I need to go deep with you, Papa. I need to be in the deep of it with you. I need to feel connected to your emotions, Jesus. I need to feel like our intimacy is intact throughout my day. So that's starting to sound a little different, right? That in every role or function of the day, I would have the knowing that we are doing it together. That even if our functions are different in the moment, that we are in it together. I need quality time with you, Jesus. I need to hear what's on your heart and mind and for you to hear what's on my mind. See, it's starting to sound different than just knowing a focus, right? I need for us to have time to explore together. I need to have time to wonder with you. I'm talking about quality time here. It's one of my love languages, okay? It might be different for you, but that's one of mine. So I'm saying I need to have time to wonder with you. I need to have time for deep dives with you. I have... I need to have time for fun and silly moments with you. I need to experience your creativity, Holy Spirit. I need to see your creative movements and arrangements displayed in the day. I need to see your handiwork, the incredible nuances of creativity and the way you interact with your people, your children. I need to see and experience your artistry in relationship with humanity. I need the dramatic moments, the tender-hearted moments, the incredibly silly moments the excited moments, the fiery passion moments, the merciful moments, the compassionate moments, the victorious moments, the kingdom advancing moments. I need to experience your deep revelation, your wisdom entering my mind. I need to experience your movement, your course corrections, your subtle adjustments to my view. Papa, I need the simply simplicity of being your child moments the little girl holding your hand moments, the little girl laughing with you moments. I need the curled up in your lap moments, the wrapped tightly in your embrace moments, the I don't have to know moments, the that's my dad moments. I need the heart expanding, breathtaking, wide-eyed, wondered moments. Papa, I need all of this. I need all of that. That's more than just focus. I need all those things. I freely express that I have these needs. I need all that comes with relationship with you. I need you. I need relationship with every part of you. Yes, I need to know that at every moment of every day, I am in a relational moment with you. 
That's what I need. Not just focus. I need to know I'm in a relational moment with you. Not all moments are the same or affect my emotions the same. I don't even need the same emotions in every moment. My emotions are your creative colors, Papa, moving and creating, flowing and shaping. They don't all paint on the same canvas at the same time, but they are always in relationship with you. That is the dream come true, and that is my need of you. So I was on cloud nine by the end of this process, okay? And in looking back, I saw several things, you know, some of that I shared with you already. But what happened is I took my very small awareness that I had a need. And at first, I was basically just telling him, I already know what I need, and I want you to give it to me in the form of focus, right? And I was saying, I know that's what I need, and so I want you to give that to me, and I won't be happy until I get it, basically, you know? But then I was like, okay, maybe there's something underlying. Maybe it's an actual need. So I tried to flush it out, but I was still all about the focus at first. But as I started to press into it and looking at what would meet the need, I realized it was all of these things that I I just want to be connected to him. It's not about whether I have a mental focus. I just want to be connected. And so it redefined my need was to be connected. And in the process... I, I wrote all of these aspects that I experienced with him about my relationship. So I felt, wow, how rich is my relationship and my connection? My, I reminded my mind of what I actually have with him. And it was freeing to say, yeah, all that. I need all that. I need all that. Papa, I want all of that. I need all of that. I don't just need one thing in a moment. I need moments with you all the time. And so it was so freeing to identify, truly identify the need, tell him it openly. And then in the process, it actually reinforced that I have it with him. So I just want to propose, this is one of the ways we've neglected our temple, okay? Neglecting the needs of our temple leads us down all these different paths. It's like what Tessa described. So when we neglect the temple, we start running all over the place and doing other things, and we neglect the pattern that he gave us. And so this was just one way that I felt like he was addressing the how to need differently. And so so I just thank you, Papa. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus. You are so rich. You are so deep. You are so wonderful, and you are so freely giving of yourself to us. And so I thank you today for just giving us permission even to address what we need of you. And I I pray that this word would go out and help each person unlock a new area of their heart that they could look at openly and express their need to you openly. And so I just recently release an anointing and a blessing over that process for each person. It will look different for each one of us, I know, but there's something there for everyone. And so I thank you that this goes along with exactly what we started off with today, that there were new levels of awakened love. There were new levels of an awakening in our heart and his hearts where we share a new level of love connection with him. And so we sang about it today. We sang about it at the beginning of the service. And so I thank you, Papa, that it was on your heart first, that you knew what we needed to course correct where we're off in the pattern. 
You knew what we needed, and so you're already bringing it. You don't deliver a word or release a word without providing the power for it to be accomplished. That's a godly principle of who you are. So if this word has gone out today, it means that you've released the power for it to be accomplished in each person's life. And so we just give you our amen to your pre-yes over that promise right there, your pre-yes, and we give you our amen. So I thank you and I bless you and I just anoint and bless each person listening to this word today. So we just bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We love you, Papa. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. It's your name. In your name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay